Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 16, part two. On Monday's episode, we engaged New York-based creative director, Vicky Osborne, in our 13-question grilling, otherwise known as the Framestore podcast dailies. On today's episode, we pass the mic to this week's guest co-host, Montreal-based production coordinator, Lisa Ceccarilli. So without further delay, we very much hope you enjoy episode 16, part two of the Framestore podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, episode 16, part two, the second installment of our conversation with creative director Vicky Osborne. This is where we hand over to this week's guest co-host, production coordinator Lisa Ceccarilli, who will continue the conversation where we left off. So Lisa, it's over to you. Thank you, Simon. Thanks a lot, Vicky, also for, for coming on and letting me interview you. Of course. <laughs> Although we went over it last time, a little bit since it's a whole new day today. I was wondering if you would be able to describe what you do for work to a person who has no idea what you're talking about or or like a, a young child or like a very intelligent monkey. Okay, I see. It's a slightly different approach because I suppose I, there's, there's a lot of things that require extra explanation if you don't work in our industry, I guess. <laughs> So I, well, I, as I said before, I, my job mostly involves really getting the work in and interfacing with directors and agency about the jobs initially and the creative and planning and how we approach that. So the agencies in, and in the advertising side, which is where I work, um, the advertising agencies are the ones that are really our kind of clients. They're the ones that come to us with the, the work and the, the scripts, the creative ideas and they will partner with us to do the work, depending on how much visual effects is involved. That's something that we discuss and we go over all the work. Then they bring on a director too, who's then part of that sort of creative <laughs> triangle. And we kind of work together to produce the, the job. So that, that side of things and winning that work is a big part of my job. Having sort of creative input in that world and sort of putting your mark onto the work that you do. And then... I, my job usually involves me going on set as well to, to the shoot for that, hopefully. Not always, but I do enjoy that. So if I can, I like to do that. And then when you get back and then work with the team, work with the team. I have a CG team of, or a 2D team, sometimes just 2D. It depends on the job, sometimes a design team. It really depends on the type of work, but then we kind of see the job through to the end. It can be anything from like a CG creature um, a whole character to just sometimes, I suppose the smallest jobs for us, it's just a little bit of cleanup work and making it look like you didn't do anything is usually the idea for those ones. I work on like the whole range of stuff. I tend to work on CG heavy jobs just because my background's been in that. And so I end up being able to talk 
speak to those jobs and, and have more creative input on them. But what's good for me and keeps it interesting is that I do get exposed to all sorts of different kinds of work, sometimes more design jobs, sometimes sometimes really kind of interesting ones that sort of use technologies that I haven't used before. So it's an opportunity to learn as well. Um, and that's kind of most of what I do. There are some nuances, but I think that in a nutshell, um, I hope I've explained all of the details in enough layman's terms. Let me know if I didn't. It, that makes total sense. <laughs> I in, And you also touched on it a little bit on like what you do on a daily basis. But if there's such thing as a typical day for you, what does that look like? Well, when I'm not on set, obviously, because that's a very different kind of day for me. Um, but when I'm not on set, a typical day, usually for the jobs I'm working on, we'll have a dailies every morning. I guess it's much like the features in episodic world too, but it's probably a bit more contained for us. It's much smaller just to catch up with the team and, and how everything's getting on at various stages of the job. So if I'm on a job, I will usually have a dailies for, for a job that I'm on, depending on what stage it's at. And then... I'll probably just be looking at the work and how it's progressing and whether or not we feel, I feel like we're meeting the creative brief that we, that we gave ourselves in, in the, at the start of the job and whether or not we, it needs to change in any way. And then given that I'm usually on a few jobs, there's usually a, different, a few different stages that that stuff's at. I'm often kind of looking at the, the new work that's coming in as well at the same time. So for example, at the moment I'm doing some, research and gathering reference for a brand new job we don't quite know what's going to happen with it yet we're, we're looking for ideas coming up with stuff i'll be talking to the director about it soon so i need to gather some references uh, make a deck talk about what our approach might be and what our ideas are for the job there's a healthy balance of that side of things and and, and also kind of shepherding work through to the final stages <laughs> so do you tend to work on one project at a time or are you involved in multiple? Tend to be involved in multiple. I think because of the nature of the advertising side of things, I mean, it jobs are a little more contained and shorter. Um, so I, th I would say usually I'm on more than one and they're at different stages of the process. So it allows me to have the headspace to focus on those things. If something is very, very all consuming and big, then sometimes I'm only on one thing. Usually as it gets towards the end of a job, less of my input is needed. Um, and therefore I have time to, to focus on other things and maybe getting the next job, you know? Like the machine is already rolling and it's become self-sufficient at that point. Exactly, because we usually have a great team on these jobs anyway that are obviously capable of, of, of doing a lot of that work. So by the end of the job, the idea is that I'm checking that everything's okay, which, which often it is, you know? <laughs> You're kind of like the train engineer, and so you you set it up, and and then it's it's chugging along. And <laughs> and you know, was a good analogy, but I do find that if you put a lot of work and in at the beginning, just getting everyone's vision aligned and making it very clear, this is where all those references I was talking about comes in. It's one thing to talk about ideas for a job, but everyone has a different picture in their head, and I think one of the things that's important about my job is to make sure everyone's visions are aligned in the right way so that we the work we create is not no surprise to anyone everyone's kind of likes what they see and it's not and it's what they were not always what they were expecting but it fit, fulfills the brief because I think sometimes if people have different ideas of what a job should look like that's when they can get off track a little bit is if you haven't aligned all of those things so I think a lot of that work goes in at the beginning 
with the references and the concepts and the, the ideas at the beginning. So if you put a lot of work in at the beginning, often it means that there's less at the end. I'm not saying that's always the case, of course, but often that's the case. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you could broadly describe the main differences between working in ads and film and episodic? So I will tell you what I, I perceive them to be because most of my career has been in advertising. I have obviously been exposed to uh, and, and know a lot of people that work in both over the years. I've dabbled, but I don't know what the day-to-day experience is. So I'm going to tell you what I think it is <laughs> rather than from first-hand experience. Obviously, the biggest thing is time frame, right? So we do have increasingly less and less time it feels like to, to do these commercials every job I've worked on for the last few has been like a four-week post-schedule which is I would say the lower limit to, to what you can manage sometimes you do have more I've worked on commercial jobs that have six months as well like so it does vary it depends on the job but I'd say the biggest glaring difference is the is the time frame that you have to do it in so it, it changes the way you problem solve the job the things you can do the time you can put into things your priorities, I guess, like the visual priorities on the screen might be different, you know, because you've got to think about how important things are and how long you see them for has to influence how much time you put into them. You know, like you can't spend three weeks working on something that that flashes by in, in, in the second and you just don't see it. Right. So that seems obvious, but I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing to learn. And so I think th- things like episodic and features they do have a lot more time, but one thing that I have started to realize is I think because the volume of work's bigger and you think they've got more time, maybe they, maybe there isn't more time to, to do individual shots, you know? So I always felt like in commercials, you never got enough time to really develop techniques, you know, and say you wanted to come up with a really clever solution that required lots of R&D or you know, that kind of stuff. Like sometimes you just couldn't do that because the time frame doesn't allow. Whilst you can do that on film because the bigger picture timeline is longer so you can invest in some of those things. I think just the sheer volume of work on those jobs, I think feels a bit more like a production line at times because because there's so many shots. They're just my musings on it all anyway. Because um, I have I have considered many, many times in my career, like making the jump over to film. Like I, I've always known lots of people that were doing that side of things. And I, I never did mostly because in my kind of career trajectory, the thing I liked the most about commercials was that from quite an early stage in my career, I had a lots of creative input at all stages of the job. And it was listened to because it was a smaller production. And I really enjoyed that, you know, and I, and I think whilst you can have that kind of input later on in your career, maybe in, in the features side, it's harder to, it takes longer to achieve. And I don't know how much input you you actually have in the end into the creative nature of, of the work. I felt like I had more in commercials, even though it was shorter and the trade-off was that you didn't get as long to work on things. You, your voice was heard more in the in the process. Sorry, I meandered a little bit there, but they're my thoughts on it. <laughs> oh, it's great because I feel like you're like, and I don't know how you do this, but I feel like you're predicting like what I'm going to ask you next because I wanted to know, was there something that drew you to working in advertising? Is it something from your childhood or is it something that you just sort of rolled into? Like it just made sense with how you work. 
I rolled into it, I think. When I started in this field, I just needed a job and in the industry. I don't think I really thought too much about whether it was advertising or film. Um, and also at the time when I first started, those things were kind of mushed together. Like, I don't know how it was at Frame Store then, but where I was working, we, I actually did some work on films as well because it was all, it hadn't quite materialized into the big separated things that it is now. It was just everyone works a bit on everything, you know? So I got to track some shots on Harry Potter and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so at the beginning, there was less of a distinction. I just wanted the experience, really. And then as time moved on, again, I just, I just started to really like the process and the teams. There's, there's some really creative work with great directors. And I felt like you were in the room with them, talking to them. And you were, even from quite a young, say, junior you were involved in it all. I just really liked that, you know, it felt small, smaller in a way that you were involved. So in an ads project, and I, I know it's sort of different every time, but what does the team look like? Like, who are the team members? Who Who is working on that team? Okay, so obviously this varies wildly depending on the work, which I've already explained, but like, say let's choose a job, say where there is a CG character or there is a, some CG work as well as uh, compositing work which I'm working on a job right now, which we have a bit of both. And usually team-wise at the beginning, before the shoot, we'll often have like a, a concept artist to help us visualize some of these shots. So, you know, I told you the planning was important and getting the vision, everyone's vision aligned so that the people on set, like the production designer and the director and the agency will have the same thing in their mind. And we are also already working towards the same thing, usually in the background before the shoots even happened. So I think... Usually there's some some sort of concept artist uh, involved right up front to try and get those visions aligned. And then we'll have a CG team in place that's that's making the assets to, to make that possible. So usually those people start earlier and start creating. For example, if it's a character, we'll probably have the character in progress while we're shooting, you know. We'll have designs, we'll be modeling, <clears throat> rigging, all that kind of stuff. So you can prep anything that you need. So you'll I usually have a CG lead who's kind of in charge of all of that stuff and just shows me the progress. And also a 2D lead who is involved in the discussions at that point, but doesn't normally come on until we've got an edit in place. So hot on the heels of the shoot, there's normally an edit that happens. And then, and then as soon as we've got a locked cut, we'll get the plates match moved and and move into the production side of things and all that prep work we've done in CG with the CG team will go into place and we animate we light we composite it's kind of the same process that happens in features but it's just everything has to be squeezed in between the edit lock and the delivery date and it's usually a, a weeks weeks of overlap and that kind of thing so the the team in place is usually a lead compositor with their team, lead CG artist with their team that's needed depending on what happens there. And then, and that's it really. And we kind of work out the flow of things until we, we get it done. Because <laughs> a lot of those ads, they look like, they look like films, like entire films compressed into 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that because it, 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 it that really is the challenge is trying to get those things compressed into that time you know there's I know I don't know if you noticed this I've noticed over the years there's always trends in the work we're asked to do for like for a while it was crowds was a big thing and for a while there was 
there was seemed to be lots of like water effects and everything. And I feel like these these all come from whatever's happening in the big movies gets watered down and and we're asked to do these these effects that are happening in movies, but then but then we've got like a month or two months or whatever. So it's always a big challenge to try and squeeze those things in, these big epic shots that that, that are often required into the shorter time frame. And of course the thing we've got in our favor is that the shots are never longer than two or three seconds. So it, it does help. But yeah, it's always a challenge. There's always something new to learn and there's always something new that you're being asked to do in less time than you think you need. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a good challenge. I was wondering if you could speak about what are some misconceptions surrounding what a creative director does? I thought maybe you just looked at people's work and critiqued it when I was younger. They, it just seemed to be not judgment, but like checking whether it looked all right and making sure it looked, everything looked really good. But the side of the job that I, I guess when I was much less experienced, I didn't realize how much of the sales side, if you like, is involved, like the whole winning of the work and pitching and relationships and that kind of thing. I, I think I underestimated I, I enjoy that part, but that was a surprise to me as I started to learn more about the job. So I assume that's maybe what other people have maybe misconceived about it too. I don't know if that is the case, but I can only really speak from my experience. The side of the job that I people don't think is, is that side of things, you know, like trying to actually get the interesting work in in the first place, you know. There's a real effort that has to go into that side of things too, as well as obviously making great work. <laughs> And last time we spoke, you were mentioning that you had a background in astrophysics. <laughs> yes. It was it was bound to come back. I was curious about what inspired you or motivated you to leave that on the side or behind. I'm not quite sure how much a part of your life it is right now, but what inspired you to make that change and what drew you to visual effects? So I suppose this goes way back to before I even studied that because I was one of those kids in school that was really good at art and photography and really good at science and maths and I kind of couldn't decide really which one to which path to go down. So I kept doing both for the longest time. <laughs> so it wasn't like I only ever had I, th I suppose in hindsight, this is the right industry for me in the first place, but I didn't really know it existed when I was younger. I think probably people have a lot more exposure to it from a younger age now, but I didn't really know. It's not like I had a dream to do this and knew how it was all created. I guess I just didn't know which path to go down and I felt like I had to choose between one or the other. In the end, I think I applied to photography degrees and physics degrees and I really didn't know until the last minute what I was going to do so when I was doing physics I, I always had a plan to then do a master's and do something more creative with it so it wasn't like I ever thought I would do that forever I just thought it was a really great thing to learn and really interesting and something that would be useful which it, it has been but I always decided I was going to do something more creative with it afterwards I just didn't know what that was and it turns out this industry you know like I, I did a master's at Bournemouth afterwards because it felt like it ticked all of the boxes for me this job though you can go into it with with as much technical knowledge or as much just artistic knowledge and you can be anywhere on the spectrum that's why I really love it is that it doesn't matter how which way you lean like there's, there's definitely a job for you and a place for you in this industry and I certainly over the years have lent more away from the 
more more away from the more technical side of things although it's always good to have a great understanding of that I've sort of lent more and more into the creative side the longer I've been in the industry and that was kind of my path but you never kind of lose that understanding of how things work and I think it's certainly from the 3D side of things like it's been very very useful it's just the way my mind works I think and I think it helps me every day I can't say that I remember all of the details anymore but it's just a cool sound bite now <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like they, they, they say that everything we do before prepares us for something in the future. Exactly. It's a very astrophysics way of looking at it. It certainly is. <laughs> I have one question after this, and it's very, it's like a production centric question. But what do you look for from your people in production? What makes like a really valuable production person for you? Okay, so in, in production for me, I've obviously focused a bit more on the creative team. And I, I apologize, I didn't mention my producer in the team that I described earlier on. So excuse me for that. In, in advertising, we normally have um, like a production coordinator and a producer on the job, as well as an executive producer who is the one who helps me kind of get the work in in the first place. I'm sorry, I've completely skipped over that part of the job, which is way more relevant to, to, to you as well. So it's just really, I guess, from a coordinator perspective, it's about making sure that everything's organized properly, really. It really is down to that. But then when you get to the producer side of things, it's really about people and relationships again. Um, I know we talked about that a little bit in the last part of the podcast. Once you've got the job organized and flowing nicely, it's really about allowing all the personalities to interact and create the good stuff, you know. And that, and that includes uh, interfacing with the director and agency in, in the same way, making sure that the team flows and works together. And so I think a good producer will allow that to happen and instigate those conversations and, you know, just lay the groundwork, but make all of those relationships happen properly. Okay, I'm taking notes. <laughs> I think that wraps it up. That's, those are the questions that I had prepared for you. Oh, wonderful. Well, it was great. It was very good to chat around it all. It's, it's, it's interesting because I have worked in advertising for so long. I forget that there's probably a lot of people in at Frame Store that don't really know how the advertising side of things works. So, so yeah. Well, a great, a great set of questions, Lisa. Very well prepared. You read the brief. You kept it to uh, 25 minutes on the nose, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, if I may... I've got a couple of really quick questions to kind of tap out the uh, the episode, Vicky. One is around uh, time management. The main reason is I'm working on a time management workshop at the moment, but I'm also interested to hear how people who are incredibly busy and have uh, wide ranging remits. And we talked on the last episode about you know the multiple projects you've got on the go at any one time. Do you have any like top tips for our listeners on how you manage your time and uh, how you how you keep on top of all of the the many deadlines and conversations that you have to have. I would love to be really interested in that course because I really <laughs> struggle with it. It is, it is hard. I guess at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to really know what's more important in your mind and really focus on the fact that you can't do everything right away. You've got to prioritize and, and, and decide very quickly what's important and what isn't. Not that some things aren't important, but what's, what's urgent and what isn't. The other thing I would say is important because obviously when things are scheduled for you, conversations and calls and whatnot, those are the things that you can't get out of. But I think what, what I've learned is very important to do is to the time that you need to think about things and do things that aren't on a call with other people, you have to schedule those as well. 
and you can't let those go because they're important. So I'll put, say, two hours in just to work on thinking about something or researching references. And, and you've got to understand that that's also important. And just because there aren't any other people involved in that block of time doesn't mean that you can let it go. Otherwise, you won't get your goals achieved either, you know. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Because I think I noticed it uh, throughout throughout lockdown and uh, that whole period where you were defined by the amount of meetings you had in the diary. Like if you looked at your diary and it looked like Tetris in terms of meetings, it was like, yes, I'm busy, I'm working hard, I'm doing the job. But in actual fact, you're spending all your time in meetings with people and not making time to do the work. Yeah, yeah. You need to get down to do the deep work and the focus. And I've learned that a lot over the year, over the last year. It's, it's okay to diary time to work on the thing. The thing that you talked about, and honestly, if you don't have time in between those calls to do what you've just talked about, what use is the call anyway, really? You know, it's 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 really important, I think, to um, schedule time and prioritize time for you to do, think about, plan all of the things that you need to do, you know? Um, it's not just about calls. <laughs> Yeah, that's great, that's great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. And my final question is linked to that in terms of making time. How do you switch off from being at the coalface of being a creative director for Framestore? You know, how do you, what do you do to switch off to keep yourself sane? Um, I will say sometimes you don't ever 100% switch off in this job, though, because I feel like everything you do kind of feeds into it. So it's not like you 100% switch off, but I know, I know what you mean by the question. So, um, <laughs> you know, what? I really enjoy cooking. So I do a lot of food related things with friends, whether it's going out or having people over. But I also really enjoy like dancing. I go out and I like dancing, various music. I own, I own some roller skates, which I'm determined to get better at. And I'm trying to do that without breaking any limbs. <laughs> I feel like we end every podcast with a, a culinary uh, flavor or culinary theme. Yeah. Me and Lisa are coming over for a virtual podcast dinner. What, what are you cooking? Well, I know we've already, we've already touched on the roast dinner. I pride myself on my Sunday roast skills, but I'm also very thematic as well. During the pandemic, learned how to make fresh pasta. So I feel like if someone comes over, I often make the effort to make some like fresh pasta from scratch and what's my favorite one i'd say like a slow cooked sauce that you can put in the oven for like three or four hours and so you don't have to slave over it and then the pasta making becomes like a a joint fun thing that people can evolve with while you're having a glass of wine and then the then the meal's done you know that's a good one i think it's my favorite one when i'm having people over is to do that that's the showpiece event when you're actually making the fresh pasta. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't take your time away from it, like having fun with your friends, because I feel like if you do anything too fiddly, you're not there present to have, chat with people. Well, I'm sure Lisa's all in, you know, being a pasta fan as well. A lovely, lovely call back to the last episode. And actually a lovely call back to the Sunday roast, because we just talked about time management. I cooked arguably my first Sunday roast last weekend, where my, my other half was out and I had to kind of get dinner on. And she literally wrote me all the timings. And I realized actually the art of the roast isn't hard. It's about understanding timing. Timing, exactly. It's it's probably my favorite one, but it's a tough one to have when people come over because you're taken away from the people. Amazing. Well, on that note, we'll leave it there, Vicky. Unless, Lisa, you've got anything else to add from your already amazing roll call of questions? I think we should leave it where it is because otherwise... 
I think it's opening in, yeah, another half an hour, we might open another can of worms. <laughs> Thank you so much, Vicky and Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend uh, this time with you again for another another part of the episode. Uh, are there any final words from either of you before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think I've really got a lot out of this too, Lisa. Thank you so much for your questions. And I, the only thing I will say, it's not really a statement. It's more that I would actually love to learn a bit more about what you do, um, which we haven't got into. But um, it was it was it was all very one sided. But I wish I'd had chance to ask you some questions about your job and your aspirations too. Maybe we'll need a bonus episode. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a new format where we switch it around. Vicky, you become the co-host and Elisa becomes a special guest. Maybe, because I, I feel like I've done all the talking and I'd like to know a bit more about you, you know? So it's a good it's a good idea. I, I do think there's a lot to be learnt, as we discussed before, about listening to everyone and learning from everyone, you know? Not just the people that have been doing it for a long time, you know? Well, the ambition for the podcast is to uh, eventually speak to everyone. Everybody gets to kind of uh, share their story and their perspective. 16 people so far, just another uh, three and a bit thousand to go. Yeah, <laughs> they'll constantly change. It'll keep, keep it interesting. Well, a pleasure. I'll leave you to your morning in both in Montreal and New York. And again, thank you so much, Vicky and Lisa. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Have a great rest of your day. Well, that wraps up this week's episodes. What a great conversation and another excellent addition to our Women's History Month series. It just leaves me to thank Vicky for being a truly inspiring guest and Lisa for being this week's excellent guest co-host. Well, March is almost over, but that doesn't mean we can't continue spotlighting female talent as part of Women's History Month. So with that in mind, we'll be back in two weeks' time where we continue celebrating women who tell our stories with another special guest and co-host from the Framestore community. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.